I'm going to say I'm switched. Yeah, I think so. Oh, oh there we go. I'm on. I'm on. I'm on. Um, thank you, Robert and Charlotte, for um, making me nervous, really, because they're reading really well. I've got some confessions probably before I start, really, with this book. Um, it is a book of confessions and secrets, so that's appropriate. Um, I, prior to writing this novel, um, actually did a poetry collection. That was my debut poetry collection, and I... Um, didn't think I liked poetry and then I wrote a poetry collection and um, I also didn't think I was a fan of historical fiction and then I wrote some historical fiction so that's a bit strange um, so there's lots of things I'm not I didn't think I was a poet I didn't think I was um, a writer of historical fiction or a fan of historical fiction um, I also didn't think I'm a reader and I now especially know I'm not a reader having followed these two but um, but I am a talker, so I thought I'd talk a little bit about... <laughs> I can talk all day long about it, and then I've got um, some short excerpts to read from the book, which just... Um, I've decided not to pick any bits with dialogue, because dialogue, if you're not a reader, is a bit of a disaster waiting to happen, so I'm not going to put you through that. Um, but it just introduces you to the key characters in the book um, and hopefully gives you a bit of a flavour. So it's historical fiction. It's set in 1927 uh, in Vienna, and the idea came about... Um, from an Arvon retreat, actually, when I uh, was struggling to come up with a concept for a novel. I knew I wanted to write something. I'd tried to write all sorts of things that just honestly were crap, really. It didn't really seem like they were going anywhere. So, um, and I got to the end of a very sad week at an Arvon retreat, realizing that I'd spent a lot of money, hadn't actually written anything at all of any value, uh, and didn't really know what to do. And I have a business background, so I sat down with the writers, my fellow writers in that space, and said, help me out. I don't know what to do. Um, can we brainstorm? And uh, this novel was the product of a brainstorm essentially um, somebody I, I shared the things I care about the themes that I enjoy uh, what I wanted to say um, and um, some ideas were thrown around and somebody mentioned Anna Freud to me and she is um, Freud Sigmund Freud's daughter um, was uh, easier um, and I started doing some digging on her and thought I was writing a book about the war nursery uh, for those of you who may or may not know much about Anna Freud I thought I was writing a book about children from the war nursery that's where this started and then I did some digging about her and found that actually she was quite a dark dysfunctional character um, and that's when things got really interesting for me because I like a bit of dark and I like a bit of dysfunctional, um, even though I'm not dark and dysfunctional either. Uh, well, maybe dysfunctional. Um, but, and, and so I became more and more intrigued by her and her story, and then um, the novel kind of grew from there, so kind of inspired from her, but very much my own story. Uh, it's a story of um, a, a sort of journey of self-discovery, a woman trying to find her identity in a really misogynistic time and place in history. Um, and uh, in a very, um, very strongly male-influenced environment. And it's also a story of female friendship and um, sisterhood, I guess, and, um, and dysfunction in there, some, some naughty bits in there, which I'm not going to read because I will spare my blushes, never mind yours, so I'm not going to get into that, but there's a dark dysfunctional relationship that runs through it. Um, and I'm told by readers that there's some quite shock, gasp kind of moments in it where everybody goes, oh! My God, I didn't expect that to be coming. So that's exciting. So I'll, um, I'll probably just crack on with it, I think. So I'm going to introduce you to Marta Rosenblit, who is the lead in the book, um, and give you a bit of an insight into her. Uh, then another character called Elise um, Salomon, who she becomes friends with. And then uh, another character called Leopold. And if there's time, then I'll just do one extra little bit. If there isn't, that's fine. Um, I don't know. How long have I been? Have I got, have I got 10 minutes yet? Five minutes? I'll keep going. All right. So, yeah, so no, not much dialogue. Anyway, so Vienna, 1927. 
Marta Rosenblitt buttoned her father's white cotton shirt right up to the starched collar before adding his navy blue necktie, fastened at her throat with a Victoria knot. Next, she put on his waistcoat, essential for propriety and to mask any traces of feminine form that might give her away during the experiment. Her father had ordered that she dress for her role this evening, uh, sorry, this evening from head to toe, every inch of her to embody the look of a man. She did not want to disappoint him, though failure was unlikely since her androgynous body offered few clues to her gender, whatever attire she chose. 23 years old and yet she was barely recognisable as a woman by face or frame. Marta was nothing like her mother or sisters. She was not a housewife, not a beauty, not a hostess. By this age, all five of her siblings had been married and pregnant, using their bodies exactly as their biology had intended. Most young women painted their lips cinnabar and set their hair. She achieved little more than a cold scrub and a quick rake with a fine-tooth comb. Her stockings were hand-me-downs. Her chemise sagged emptily at her breasts and hips where it had once been generously filled by its previous occupant. She owned exactly two types of footwear, brown slip-on Oxfords with a low rubber heel and a pair of cumbersome black gardening boots. A pair of her mother's dress shoes had remained entombed under her bed for many years, two sizes too small now and in, in a cherry satin she considered far too lascivious. She stopped dressing for a moment and reached for her father's cigarette case, which he had left perched on his dresser earlier. She rolled her palm over the delicate white sticks inside before selecting one its pristine paper casing highlighting the grimy appearance of the yellow stains on the knuckles of her index and middle fingers. Upon lighting it, she tucked one unsightly hand into the darkness of her father's trouser pocket and pressed the tip of the cigarette to her lips with the other. She drew the hot smoke deep into her throat, warming her chest against the chill of the early evening air, releasing it with a slow sigh of satisfaction as it rolled back up and out of her mouth. Her father's bedroom faced south and was usually bright, but the last of the spring sunlight was fading and twilight danced on the windowsill. She moved to the window, rolled her forehead against the cooling glass and surveyed the garden. A row of black pine trees stretched up from the boundary, forming sprawling silhouettes that sliced through the beauty of the violet and amber sky. His study was situated on the ground floor directly below, with a single window that offered the same view. As she smoked, she remembered how she had spent much of her childhood behind that rectangle of glass as her sisters and their friends hosted teddy bear picnics and tea parties for their dolls. Even as a girl of five or six, she had watched them as one might observe museum pieces, not sure she understood the purpose of their play or how to interact with them without causing irrevocable damage. She opened the window, forcing her smoke out into the fresh air, sucking on the cigarette until it burned its way down to her fingers. She stubbed it out in the ashtray on the nightstand, then plucked the blazer from the bed where it had been waiting since her father had set it out for her. She closed her eyes as she breathed in his scent, suspended in the threads of the fabric. Holding it out in front of her, she took a moment to admire the cut of the garment. Marta paused to trace the embroidered label with her, fingers before, with her forefinger before swinging it across her shoulders and slipping her spindly arms into its generous sleeves. Her father had always chosen the finest tailor for his suits and the ever popular gentleman's outfitters on the Amgraben was now the only outlet he would consider. He admired their method and precision. Each of the 7,000 stitches was crucial to the whole and comparable to his own ardent attention to detail. Dr. Arnold Rosenblitt was a stickler for details and could not tolerate those who didn't share his exactness. She did not appreciate the luxury of the silk, smooth silk lining inside the blazer as she wrapped it around her body. She enjoyed the rough scratch and prickle of the wool that peeped from the edges of its collar, cuffs and hem. A complex sensation, however uncomfortable, would always be preferable to the subtlety of ease.
Marta considered that to many, the act of dressing like a man in order to be paraded before and questioned by a room full of her father's academic peers might seem unusual. She did not see it as out of the ordinary. In fact, she saw it as training. If she wanted to become an expert on the oddities of the mind, it seemed not only logical but rather crucial to be able to move amongst the masters of such madness before attempting to understand it. And that's Marta. That's a bit about her. <laughs>